Hey, amen. There you go. Uh, last time we got together, we, to, we began to take a look at the grace that's needed to accept one another. And despite or maybe even because of all of our differences. And we identify two obstacles that uh, tend to get in the way of meeting this objective. The first one is that we tend to compare ourselves to one another. And it leads to competition, it leads to envy, it leads to all kind of quarrels and strifes and conflict as a result of that. And we begin to wonder why you know, people do what they do and what they should do, what we think they should do, why we wouldn't do it the way they do it, why they should do it the way we should do it. And so we begin to also, the second problem is, we begin to try to control one another. We try to make people into our image of what we believe that they should become. And it causes nothing but difficulty. In fact, if anything, it tends to kill grace. You know, comparing ourselves to one another and controlling each other are grace killers. They don't promote grace at all. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. And we'll begin to take a look at four guidelines that I believe will help us to be promote, promoters of grace. And in this particular passage, we'll see several issues that deal with specific cultural problems of that day, but also problems that we can certainly recognize and identify in our day and age as well. In Romans chapter 14, we'll take the first four verses and look at the first guideline. We read this, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has the faith that he may eat all things, but he who, eat, he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. And who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. The first guideline that we began to look at the last time we got together was the guideline of accepting one another. And as you can see here, Paul writes to, to the church at Rome, he says, you know what, we need to accept one another, accept the one who is weak in faith. And he talks about not condemning him or judging him because of his opinions, meaning that we should welcome the diverse opinions of others. In, uh, in the book of Acts chapter 28, Paul and, and, uh, and his crew were on the way to, um, to Malta. And when they were shipwrecked there, the natives who were there, it says they welcomed them into their midst. Even though they were different from them, they welcomed them. In the, uh, the letter to uh, Philemon, he's told to welcome back Onesimus, who was his slave who had run away. He says, accept him. Obviously, he has a difference of opinion as far as slavery is concerned. But he says to accept him back into your presence. That we're to accept those who are different than we are. There are all kinds of differences. And we began to talk a little bit about that last time, and I want to get into some of them again today. But, you know, there are many differences and opinions that each of us have that obviously are different from one another. In this particular passage, they're, they're again going through this conflict of should you eat meat, should you not eat meat. And the, the speculation or the conflicting opinions was causing, um, was causing controversy, it was causing conflict, and it certainly wasn't promoting grace at this particular time. There are those who are saying you should eat meat. There are those who are saying you shouldn't eat meat. And they got a big argument over all these things. And I'll bet you, even today, if we'd ask the question and say, hey, you know what? How many think they should have been eating meat? We'd probably get a big rip-roaring controversy going even here today. Yeah, I think they should have. I don't think they should have. Well, why don't you think so? This is why I don't think so. And I think that it should have, and it doesn't really matter. And we could go on and on. We could get an argument today over whether they should have ate meat then. And I know that's true because we can get in arguments about all kinds of stuff today, can't we? 
And we talked a little bit about that. You think about all the different opinions that we have about different things. And he says, you know what? Let, let's not argue over opinions. Over what you think is right or wrong and why you think it's right or wrong. Yeah, let's have healthy conversations and discussions and even debates about it. But let's not get into argument to the point where we tear down grace and tear one another down in the process. Think about all the things that people argue about today. And we got into some of them. But we could, I mean, think and ask yourself this question. Is it right to go to the movies? Is it right to go to R-rated movies? Is it right to PG movies? Is it right to go to, uh, for, to wear cosmetics? Is it right for girls to shave their legs? And when should they shave their legs? Or should women even share, shave you know, body hair? I remember the first time we were in Europe and, and I went down to work out in the gym and I was surprised by what I saw. And uh, I was like, hey, oh, man, and I was so glad to find out I was a woman because it was like, man, you know, she was, well, I wasn't really glad because I found that she was actually stronger than I was, too. <laughs> So there was, there was a problem there. But, but, you know, it's like we have all these cultural differences and we argue and debate on whether every Christian should get up in the morning and read their Bible and should have a quiet time. And if they don't have it in the morning, should they have it at lunchtime or should they have it at some other time of the day? Should we pray for our meals? Shouldn't we pray for our meals? Should we just eat it first and if it's good, then thank God? I mean, you know, it's like when, when should we do it or beforehand to protect us from what we're about to eat? Amen. Um, you know, should we wear certain clothes? We got into all of these things. Should we wear suits and ties to church, shouldn't we? Should we wear jackets or should we wear, you know, sport coats? Should you listen to certain music, uh, whether it's rock and roll or, or jazz or, or classical hymns and, or, or contemporary worship music? And then we got churches that argue about whether how to be baptized. Should you be dunked or should you be sprinkled or should it be poured on you? I mean, churches divide over things like this. It's God's will that we dunk them. Or, well, I mean, what are you, a basketball fan? I mean, I can understand that, you know, lean in that direction. Let's slam dunk them. Or it, it, water should be poured. And I don't mean to make light of these things, but I, I want us to start and think about the things that divide us in the areas of opinion. Because what happens is these become very sensitive things depending upon how you were raised and what your background is and what you believe and what you were told and all those things. And so I don't mean to make fun one way or the other, but I want us to look at the things that cause division and look at them for what they are and their areas of opinion, and we need to understand that. Should you wear your hair a certain way? Should it be long? Shouldn't it be long? Should men have long hair? Should they have short hair? Should you wear earrings if you're a man or jewelry of any kind? Should you, you know, it's like you go on and on and on and on and on. You know, and, and, it's, and it's sad because we get into areas too that are even more difficult. Uh, we have several friends and, and they wrestled with interracial marriage. And oh man, you talk about a bunch of, you know, flack that they got for considering it. No, you shouldn't even date interracial. Oh, marriage, you got to be kidding me. And, and, and it's opinions and it's not the word of God and it divides people and it destroys and it doesn't promote grace. And we need to understand these things and we need to be sensitive to them. So you go down through all of this and you go, hey, well, what's right and what's wrong? Well, obviously you've got a strong opinion one way or the other. And if I asked you the questions, you'd say, oh, I have a strong opinion about it, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. And you're going to have people in this room that have an equally strong opinion in the other direction. And we need to understand that as well. We need to be proponents of grace. We need to promote grace and not use things that divide us. You know, it's interesting, these cultural differences, you know, all around the world, if you look at the differences that we have culturally. I read recently of a, uh, of a Lutheran pastor's conference in Germany where they had beer at the reception. 
didn't think about it, didn't have a problem with it. It was a cultural thing. They offered it. They served it. I'm not talking getting hammered. They had a beer when they walked in. That was the reception time. Milling around the back. Wouldn't that be hilarious one week to have a keg of beer out in the back here? I mean, I, I, you know, I think it'd just be fun. You know, not that I'm trying to promote it, but I just want to stop and ask yourself some questions. I mean, I think it'd be hilarious just to see the reactions that you get because we get reactions over stupid things like I don't have a tie on today. Hey, it's a, it's a holiday weekend. And I'm here. You want me here without a tie or not here wearing a suit laying on a beach somewhere? What do you want? That's <laughs> the way it is. So I just kind of go with that. You know, it's, it's funny though. You know, I, I read about a, a guy in a small Midwest town I thought was hilarious that he was a, a youth pastor who showed a movie to the youth group on missions. He was called before the board of elders because he showed a movie. And at that church, you don't show movies. And he said, but, but in, our, in our last service, we showed slides on missions. And the one elder, he went, hey, ho, hey. That's different. He said, why? He said, if it doesn't move, it's okay. If it moves, it's sin. If, now, that was pretty deep. If it doesn't move, it's okay. But if it moves, it's sin. Now, I'm, I'm curious because how many people really believe that first and second opinions is an authentic book in the scriptures? <laughs> I mean, some believe that. We've got first and second opinions, and it's like, no, I know that it's there. You know, oh, maybe, okay. But we may say it might be one of those apocryphal books or whatever. But, you know, we, we, we make our opinions, we want them to become the Word of God. We really do because it's cleaner that way. I was in the South, officiating at a friend's wedding in Alabama. During the course of the wedding, um, I like to mention like five or four or five points of, of why marriage is ordained by God, why it was instituted by God, and what the purpose of marriage is. And among these points is that I believe that marriage was designed by God to promote sexual contentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 will validate that. Also in Genesis, it talks about the two becoming one flesh, cleaving to one another. Uh, because of immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. And, you know, and it promotes sexual contentment. Well, I got to that point during the message. And you would have swore E.F. Hutton walked in and said something. <laughs> it was like all the daydreaming stopped and everyone just went, huh? I felt like a dentist hitting a nerve. <laughs> I, I, I even kind of went, oh. I started backing up. I thought they were coming. They were going to start charging any minute. And then they looked at me like, so afterwards, Uncle Yank took me aside during the reception, and he said, son, you're in Alabama now. <laughs> in Alabama, we don't talk about that. I said, that, he goes, you know, And I said, you may not talk about it, but it's obvious you know a lot about it. There's 350 people at this wedding. <laughs> he goes, well, I really wish you wouldn't have brought it up. I said, well, wh why not? He goes, this whole thing about sexual contentment. He goes, now you got me in all kind of trouble at home. My wife's going to expect me to do a better job. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. Now I got it. But the point is, we all have different opinions. 
And Paul commands us, if we're to encourage grace, he says, you know what? Don't regard with contempt he who has a different opinion than you. Hey, you know, he says, you know, don't, don't, don't regard with contempt or write off or despise or look down upon the one who says, you know what? I can't in good conscience before God eat meat. He says, well, don't write that off. See, and, and what's amazing is, and what's really convicting to me as I study this and look at it, I realize, you know what, my tendency is, because I really feel a sense of freedom in Christ, is to look at those who have grown up in backgrounds that, are, that tend to be more opinion-driven than Scripture-driven. My, my tendency is to say, that's your problem. You got a problem with it? You got a problem with it. And I tend to, what God's saying is, look with contempt on those who have a problem. It'd be like the one who says that I can eat the meat saying to the one who does, can't eat the meat saying, you know what, you got a problem eating meat? Well, it's too bad. That's your problem. I don't have a problem with it. He says, don't do that. He said, and also for the one who doesn't eat the meat, not to be looking at the one who does eat the meat and criticize them for being able to eat the meat. He says, you know what, we need to respect one another and respect one another's opinions in the Lord because God accepts them both because they're both being offered up to God. And so it was very convicting to me to look at it and say, you know what, I've got I to really adjust my attitude. I really need to take a deeper and closer look at when I look at others and how I look at others for what they believe. And that's why I'm very sensitive to say I don't mean to make fun of these things. But yet I'm trying to get a point across and sometimes making fun of it is an easier way to identify how silly we can be in certain areas of life. But he's saying don't do that. You know, it's interesting because we have a tendency to criticize others who don't think the way that we do. We can sit around and we'll slam them behind their back. Can you believe that they go to R-rated movies? Can you believe that he still smokes after all these years? He's a Christian, he still smokes. You know, what's real funny too is that, you know, meanwhile, we criticize people. When we use the health argument, well, don't you know your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? What are you doing smoking? What are you doing drinking? What are you doing doing these things? Don't you understand your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit? And we criticize someone who has a cigarette in their mouth or a pipe in their mouth or a cigar in their mouth. Meanwhile, we got ho-hos and ding-dongs hanging out of our mouth all day long. You know, and we have this health argument that we're trying to use, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute, let's stop and understand something here. There's a real hypocrisy that's going on and conflict that's going on here. And I don't smoke, but you know what? I'll I go to Tribuco Oaks and eat half a cow enough to stop my heart. You know, and it's really stupid for me to argue with somebody about the health argument of smoking, even though it's valid and true, but eating half a cow is probably not that good for you either. But I don't want to dig into it too terribly much because it sure is good. See, and, and you know, it's funny. I was, at, I was at a fast food restaurant the other day. And, and this, is the, this is the argument was going on. There's two guys there. They were dressed in workout outfits. They just come out of the gym. They're standing there ordering food, right? And uh, the one guy goes, oh, no, no. I want a Diet Coke. I don't drink regular. And the, his friend that was with him was ordering a regular Coke. And they got a big argument about whether you should drink Diet Cokes or regular Cokes. And the guy who's getting the regular Coke said, you know what? You kill me. You have donuts in your mouth all day long. You're, you're sitting here and you're ordering a double-double or a big old cheeseburger with fries. And you're sitting there arguing with me about why this is killing me to drink a regular Coke because you ordered a Diet Coke. And they had this big heated debate going on about whether you should drink Diet Cokes or regular Cokes. And it's hilarious because all God's people know you drink 7-Up. <laughs> There's no caffeine. Never had it, never will. There you go. But you see, it, we can, and, we, and we wrestle with these things, and it's hilarious because it's like, you know what? Okay, these guys definitely have a different opinion, but that's okay. Can't we accept one another even despite our differences? 
I like what one guy writes. He writes, you know, accepting, acceptance means you're valuable just as you are. It allows you to be the real you. You aren't forced into someone else's idea of who you really are. It means your ideas are taken seriously since they reflect you. You can talk about how you feel inside and why you feel that way, and somebody will actually really care. It says acceptance means you, you can try out your ideas without being shot down. You can even express heretical thoughts and discuss them with intelligent questioning, and you can feel safe in doing so. No one will pronounce judgment on you, even though they don't even agree with you. It doesn't mean you'll never be corrected or shown to be wrong. It simply means it's safe to be you, and no one will destroy you out of their prejudices. I like that. This means acceptance means I don't have to play a game to be something that you want me to be. I can be who I really am before the Lord. And I don't have to play a game and pretend. I can be who I am. And you accept me for who I am. Even in, despite all of the differences and because of all the differences, you just thank God that we're different. And you thank God that God accepts us even though we all are different. That God is a God who loves and accepts the differences that we have and that we see in one another. Now, let me make this very clear, make this as loud as I can, because I, I realize that, that when, when you teach on grace, Martin Luther said it best. He says, well, you, know, you know that you're preaching on biblical grace when it gen gen generates a tremendous amount of controversy. And I think that's true. Because there are many, as we go through even the list that I went through, who jumped off and don't want to listen anymore because you're already trying to justify and argue your point of why you disagree with what I just said. So you're not even listening to anything I said. I mean, I know who you are because you usually come running up to me afterwards. And it's like, well, you said it. And I'm like, I said that at 918. Did you hear anything from 918 to 10 o'clock? Just wondering because I know how that is. It's like, oh, I disagree with what he just said. I got to write it and you're writing it down. You're, you may even be checking scripture. You're going out and you're running to the library. You're coming back. You got all the stuff. And it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I disagree with you on that. Oh, and that's fine. But, but listen to it in the context of what we're talking about. And what I'm saying simply is this. In the areas of opinions, we can learn to disagree agreeably. We'll talk about that next time we get together. In the areas of, of opinions. I am not talking about doctrines of Scripture. I am not talking about whether it's debatable or there's any other option as far as salvation is concerned. There's no other way to the Father but through the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And we must receive Him, accept Him, welcome Him into our life and what He's done if you're ever to get to heaven. That's not debatable. That's not another's opinion that we can accept. We need to recognize the fact that not everyone's opinion is valid or even correct. What I'm saying is in the areas that are not scriptural, I'm not talking about doctrine of salvation. I'm not talking about the nature of God. I'm not talking about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the doctrines of sin and judgment of heaven and hell. Those are facts, scriptural facts, that are not debatable and they're not open to our opinion or our own personal convictions about such matters. So that is as clear as I can get. I'm speaking specifically about Areas of personal convictions and opinions that are not based upon Scripture, but may be based upon history or tradition or man-made rules and regulations or the rules and the regulations of your home when you were growing up or whatever it is. I'm speaking of those matters and those matters only. What kills grace is trying to make our opinions equal to or equivalent to the Word of God. Our opinions will never be anything more than our opinions, and they will never be the Word of God. See, because if God wants to say something, He can do it quite clearly, and He does, in many cases, in His Word. 
If God wanted to say it was wrong to eat meat, he would have just specifically said, Yeah, shall not eateth meat. And I don't even know if it's saying in the King James, whatever, but it's say it so we understand it. He said, you can't eat meat. But you know what? In this particular chapter, Romans 14, he doesn't say that now, does he? He doesn't say, no, you cannot eat meat that's, that's, uh, that has been worshipped to idols. No, you cannot eat meat. He says very specific, you know what? If you want to eat meat, there's freedom in Christ, you can eat it. If you don't want to eat meat and it's an offering or a worship to God because you feel that it's wrong to do it, then don't eat meat and I'll accept that too. I'll accept both positions equally and valid and I love you all and I accept you no matter what your differences are. See, he could have done that, but he didn't do that, now did he? So stop trying to make your opinions equivalent to the Word of God. And you know what happened when you stop doing that? You'll begin to accept other people and you'll begin to promote grace. Which leads to the second thing in verses 5 through 8. We read this. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. There you go. That's for the argument of what, you know, Sundays or Saturdays or whatever special day you want to make. Hey, you know what? One day is the same. Another day isn't. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. It says, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. You know what it is? It's a matter of you want to promote grace, refuse to dictate to others your personal convictions. You follow that? Refuse to dictate to others your personal convictions, your personal opinions. Look at verse 5. It says, you know what? One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. We can get a big old argument about how special a certain day of the week should be. And you can believe it's one day and someone else can believe it's another day. And we get a big argument about it. And you can have an opinion about it. And you can go through all the arguments with someone else. And you can try to jam it down somebody else's throat. But you know what the bottom line is? God says this. Hey, why don't you let each man be fully convinced in his own mind? Why don't you allow others to come up to their own convictions about certain things in life. You know what? Do you want other people to grow in grace? Then give them the right to, to grow. Give them the chance to grow. Back out a little bit. Let them, whether it's your spouse or a child or your children or a friend or a relative or a neighbor or a co-worker, let them make up their own minds. Sure, you have an opinion, and you can share it with them. Sure, it may be different than theirs, and that's okay too, but you know what? Let them have the space and the time to make up their own minds and be fully convinced in their own mind. Allow them the freedom to discover what you may have already discovered. And you know what? And maybe they'll allow you the freedom to discover about God and the things of God that you haven't discovered yet. And what a joy it is to discover those things. You know, let others even to make mistakes. Allow them to, to make mistakes. You know why? Because the sooner they learn that you'll reap what you sow, the better off they're going to be in this world, aren't they? That there's consequences for wrong actions. I know parents, and being one myself, we want to protect the people around us so that they never make mistakes. We don't want them to make mistakes. We don't want them to enter any kind of consequences in life. We want to shelter them and protect them. We want to chain them and bound them and, and throw them in the basement so they can't get out in the world and, and experience life and make mistakes because we don't want them to be hurt. So what we do is we smother them and we strangle them to death and we take the freedom that God's given them out of their life. And so in trying not to hurt them, we destroy them. 
And God's saying, allow them the freedom to grow and become fully convinced in their own minds so that their convictions will be that way, will be deeper than the ones even that you have. There's a temptation to tell others what we believe is right or wrong in the areas of opinions. Don't you know that, hey, son, wearing earrings wrong. But why? Because I don't like it. Because it frustrates me. Because I don't know why. That's a lot of times what happens. So when we don't even know why we believe certain things that we believe and we want other people to buy into it, we just get really, we, we get upset by it. And we yell louder because usually what I found is the weakest argument is the one that you have to yell the loudest. Why? Because you, you don't have an argument, so if you yell louder, in fact, I was reading somewhere where a guy was writing a political speech, and as he was going through a speech, he was sharing the speech, and he got the particular point, and the speechwriter wrote this in the notes, yell real loud here, because the argument's real weak. And that's what he did, he just started screaming and yelling, you know, and you look at this, but see, and, and, and it's amazing, because we go, but can't they see how wrong this is? Somebody come up and say, hey, you know what? Well, I, I go to you know, R-rated movies, but when there are certain parts that I don't think I should see, I close my eyes. So, well, great, whatever. says, yeah, but what really bothers me, the people who go with me, I peek over and look at them, they're still watching it. So what bothers you? But don't they see how wrong this is? Oh, because you see how wrong it is. Exactly, why can't they see that? Because they don't see that. I know, why not? I don't know. Because maybe it's not to them. <gasps> and it was like, <gasps> you know, we had, we had a, a Bible study. And I'll give you a great illustration. In, in one of our, our men's studies with, with the Rams, we had a, a bunch of guys, we, we had a lot of questions. Like, hey, anytime you want to ask a question, ask a question. And so the bottom line was it was guys who felt that drinking was wrong and guys that felt that gambling on the plane coming back from games was wrong and guys that felt that, you know, this was wrong or that was wrong. And so what they wanted to do was get everybody together and ask these questions. Well, don't you think that this is wrong? Don't you think that drinking is wrong? Don't you think that smoking is wrong? Don't you think that gambling is wrong? Don't you think that swearing is wrong? Don't you think that this is wrong? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what? Let me ask you something. What, what does the Bible have to say? See, they wanted somebody just to confirm their point. And you know what? I just say, hey, what does God have to say? Do I have an opinion? Absolutely. Are there things in life that I still don't have an opinion about or I'm not sure of? Absolutely. But what does God have to say? And if he's clear, then let's get down to it. And so we begin to open the Bible. And then we open the Bible and we turn to certain passages and we look at what God has to say and we begin to realize how true 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is where it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I begin to realize something and I realized early on and I hope that you do too and leave here with this understanding and that's this. You know what? The Word of God is inspired by God. The Word of God is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training righteousness. For teaching, it tells us what is right. For reproof, it tells us what is not right. For correction, it tells us how to get right. And for training, it tells us how to stay right. Not my opinions and not your opinions. They're not inspired by God at all. Now, they may correspond to the Word of God, and that's great. And they may not. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you want others to develop convictions in their own personal life and be fully convinced in their own mind, then we need to share with them what God has to say. What does the Bible say? What does God have to say? Why? Because this. Because it's from the Word of God 
and it's truth in the Word of God, the truth will set people free and the Spirit of God will convict them in their own personal life, in their own personal walk, and deal with them in areas and ways that you and I don't even have a clue what's going on in their life. And the Spirit of God will convict them of what's right and what's wrong. The Spirit of God will convict them of what they need to do, what changes they need to make, what they need to confess, what they need to apply, how they need to start to live, and how they need to start to walk. Not my convictions, not your convictions, not your opinion, you know what's amazing to me? And stop and think about it. Why is it that church kids, when they get out on their own, they just go nuts? You know why, I believe? Because we share our opinions, and we share our convictions, and we share what we think is right or wrong, but we don't have any weapon that we're using, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. If you say, hey, you know what? Why don't you read this passage? Why don't you read these passages? Why don't you look at this particular scripture? Why don't you study it? Why don't you pray about it? Why don't you ask God to show you and give you insight as to what is right or wrong? And you know what? And let's talk about it again. Because my convictions are based upon the Word of God. And if I've got the Word of God backing me up, then I've got something to share. But if it's my opinion based on whatever, I've got a weak argument at that point. But if we share that truth, and you know what? Here's another interesting point. He goes on to say this in 2 Timothy 4.2. He says, you know what? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and I like this, with great patience and instruction. Patience and instruction. You know what? As we share with one another the truth of the word of God, if we promote grace, we'll accept one another will be patient with one another and will refuse to dictate to others what we believe that God is saying to us. What a wonderful truth that is to free people up. And we've got to be very careful too because if grace is to increase, we've got to give others the, the room and the freedom to develop their own convictions. Because my convictions aren't going to do my kids much good. Yeah, I need to role model them. Yes, I need to teach them. I need them to see that in my life. But you know what? Until those convictions are impressed upon their heart by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, those convictions aren't going to be strong enough for them when they get out in the world and they're dealing with issues of life that they're going to have to deal with. My convictions aren't going to carry them very far now, are they? And neither are yours. So we need to get back to the basics here. i never forget a, a day that I was teaching a youth group uh, one of the first churches that we went to after we became Christians. And we were talking about these areas, these, these, so, these gray areas of whether something is right or wrong. And I had a guy say, and I'll never forget this, he said, you know what, man, you know what, the, the, the biggest stumbling block and I, I've got in my life right now is Hawaii Five-0. The television show. Hawaii Five-0. Biggest stumbling block in his life as far as his walk with the Lord. Now, it would have been very easy to say, you know what, Hey, you can watch Wi-Fi all, all you want. I watch it all the time. I don't have a problem with them. Book them, Dan. Oh, I got the lines down and everything. Here you go. <laughs> there you go. You know, but what I understood was that he was really struggling with it. And as we talked about it, began to realize his whole life revolved around Hawaii Five O. And seeing what he realized in his own personal spiritual walk is something that you and I could have never even began to discuss with him because we may never have looked at it as a problem. But what the Spirit of God was telling him was, this is a problem in your life, and you need to kind of get off of this. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, and it talked about, you know, some guidelines on questionable behavior. And the first thing it talked about is, is this, is this activity profitable to you in your spiritual life? We went down and said, is this, is this an area that masters you or becomes master over you? 
And it became obvious to him as he looked at these things. He said, you know what, man, this isn't profitable at all. In fact, it's destroying my life. Not only that, but it's mastering me where I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm avoiding all my other responsibilities just to be able to be around the television set to watch this particular show. And he realized how wrong it was. And then it goes on to say, but does it glorify God? And he can look at that and say, you know what, in these areas of my life, no, the show's not profitable. No, it, it masters me. And no, it doesn't bring glory to God. And you know what, I need to stop doing this. It's like, I can't eat the meat. I can't go to our movie. I can't have a glass of wine. I can't have a beer. I can't do this. I can't do that because it hurts me spiritually. And to him that knows the right thing to do and to him who does not do it, James 4.17 says, to him it is sin. That becomes sin to that person. And it would be wrong for me or you to say, you know what, that's just, hey, unrealistic guilt. That's legalism. You get free from that. Watch Hawaii Five O. Catch a Hawaii Five O marathon. You know? And it would be wrong to do that. And it would be wrong for me to say anything about certain areas that you have that are personal convictions that are different than what I have as far as personal convictions that aren't clearly taught in the Word of God. We need to recognize the fact we have to refuse to dictate to one another what our personal convictions are. Sure, we can challenge each other to look at Scripture. We can challenge each other to consider our opinions and our position. And we need to do that, and that's healthy, and it's constructive if it's not to destroy one another, but to challenge each other and build each other up in the grace of God. Do you follow what I'm saying? Anybody want to say amen or anything? Amen. Thank you very much. All right. If you don't want to say amen, that's okay too. I know, because that may be a personal conviction thing, and I understand that, and I respect that. And I don't want to cause you any grief now. Okay, number three. Another guideline, back to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, look at verses 9 through 12. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the, living and of the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard with your, your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall praise and give me praise to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I like that. If you want to promote grace, there's also a freedom or freeing one another from our constant judgment. Freeing each other up from our judgment. We're always looking and picking and ridiculing and nitpicking about what you believe, what you don't believe, why you do what you do, why you aren't doing what we think you should do, why you should do it this way and not that way. Man, just, you know what, chill out and leave people alone. That's the, the modern living version. <laughs> I mean, just, get, get, you know what, it's give her, I mean, whatever language you understand, give everyone a break. Cut everybody loose. Free people up around you. They're not like you. Thank God they're not. Want to use enough. Want to use enough. Give them the freedom from your constant judgment. You know why? Because, yeah, we're all accountable to God. Do we, do we understand that? That each one of us, a recurring theme throughout Scripture is that every person will give an account to God for what they've done. For those who have rejected Jesus Christ, they'll be judged on their works that violate the laws of God and they'll be condemned by that. For those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and welcomed him into our life and have been given forgiveness by God for our sins and become a child of God, we will be judged for the purpose of rewards. And that's what he's talking about here. Each one of us will have to give an account for what we've done while here on earth. And so you and I are not in the best position of judging one another. What keeps us from being qualified as judged? Think about it. 
we don't always know all the facts. I'll give you a good example. I've got people come to me that have got problems in their life. I hear from the husband, I hear this story, I hear from the wife, and I hear the other story. And then God's in the middle who knows the true story. And we're limited as to how we can judge or counsel one another because of the information that we've been given. We base it on what we hear. And what we hear is not always what's true. We're not qualified to be a very good judge in many circumstances because we have limited knowledge. The other problem is that we're not able to, to read a person's motives. Think about this. Now, we need to judge the fruit of a person's labor. There's nothing wrong with judging what they say or what they do as being whether it's right or wrong before God, but we don't always know their heart. One of the big criticisms of uh, the Christian Research Institute who challenges or considers things that are being taught that would be in conflict with Scripture, kind of a watchdog for, for Christianity, whether something's being taught, is it biblically based or not, one of the criticisms they get is that, who are you to judge other people? Wait, you've got to understand something. We've been called by God to be fruit inspectors. You got it? We're to judge the fruit of another's labors or to judge the fruit of what they're teaching, whether it is of God or not. Now, I am not judging a person's intentions or their heart or their motives because I'm not in a position to do that. You can have people who teach false things that are sincere before God and trying to do what's right before God, but what they're still teaching is wrong. And you can have people who are manipulative and contriving and they're using whatever it is that they want to get across for their own personal gain. And in Philippians 1, we read all about that where Paul says some were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Others were preaching Christ because they love the Lord and they want to do what's right. But you know what? But Christ was being preached and so God will judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So we're not in a good position oftentimes to judge heart or motives, but we have to look at the evidence. Another problem that I found is that, you know what? We lack the big picture. All of us are work in progress. I don't know if you realize that or not. But I know that he who began a good work in me will perfect it till the day that Christ comes back again or he totally takes me home. I'm not finished. Thank God he's not done with me. Am I a child of God? Yes, I'll always be a child of God based on my faith in Christ. But I am not done yet according to the word of God. He's still at work in my life and he's still conforming me into the image and the likeness of Christ and same with you. Our problem is we meet people at some point in this journey and we begin to judge them and criticize them, become critical of them because we think they should be further along than they really are. The illustration I like to use is you take a person who's been on a diet. They started out weighing 600 pounds, and you see them one day, and they weigh 400 pounds, and you say, my gosh, you really need to lose about 200 more pounds. You know? But what we don't realize is, is what has happened before we've ever met them. They've trimmed down 300 pounds, and they're in work in progress, and thank God for what he's doing in our lives. And a lot of times, and why I love testimonies, is so that God gets the glory of the change that you see taking place in a person's life before you, because you don't have a clue where God has brought that person from. And we see them today, and we'd be critical of them, and we're not, we're not promoting grace at all because we destroy them instead of saying, hey, you know what? Thank God what he's done in your life. We sit there and look at them and say, but you're still smoking! You see what I'm saying? Or whatever. Get the whole list out again and go through them. But you're still doing that! Don't you see how wrong that is? You're still doing this and that and the other thing, and, 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 and right now I'm doing something wrong because I'm coming close to dancing. Hey. See, I got to look at our musicians, man, for some help here. Give me a move. There you go. But it's like, you see, we're, 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 what's happening to us is that we're not in a good position to judge anyone. 
We need to encourage one another. We need to be accountable to one another. And that's all good stuff. We need to be accountable to the Word of God. We need to be accountable to leadership and the government and the laws of God and the laws of man. We need to be accountable to, to each other to help us build one another up and to grow. But not for the purpose of destroying each other. Not for the purpose of saying, you know what? You're not as far along as you should be. What's wrong with your spiritual life? That doesn't promote grace. You know, it, does, it destroys a desire to be pleasing to God. There's nothing encouraging about that at all. I'm not where I should be. I know that. I'm not even where I'm going to be. I know that. But I praise God, I'm not where I used to be. And by His grace, I'm standing here today and I'm not somewhere else. And I thank God for that. And I hope that you can thank God for that, not just for what you see in my life, but what you see that He has done in your life and the people around you. And that we can be less critical and judgmental of one another. And that brings up the last point, and that's this. Bear with me, because we're going to finish. Romans 14, look at verse 13. Saying, you know what? So stop judging one another. But rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, well, you know what? To him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. I like that. You know what he's saying? Simply this. It all boils down to love. It's not a, you know what? It's not an issue of eating meat or not. It's not an issue of what movies we go to or whether we dance or not dance or say amen or not say amen or whether we're sprinkled or dunked or whatever. It's not an issue. That's not the issue. It's not an issue of what music you like or don't like, whether you dance or don't like, whether you like watching Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire dance but you wouldn't be caught dead dancing yourself. That's not the issue. You know what the issue is? Do you love the person? Can you accept their differences and their opinions being different than you? Can you refuse to dictate to them your own convictions and give them room to grow? Put them in a bigger pot so their roots can go deeper? Do you give them the freedom that they need not to be judged by you, but be judged by God? See, it really boils down to love. Do you love that person? And what he's saying is, you know what? If it causes that person a problem that you're eating meat in front of them, then don't eat the meat in front of them. Take it home. Get a takeout bag. Take it home and go eat it at home. If it causes certain friends trouble that you go to certain rated movies, then don't go with them. Don't take them. Don't encourage them to go with you. Don't argue your point. Don't try to convince them of your own opinion. But you know what? Find somebody that likes that movie and go and enjoy that movie before God. See, it's not a matter of whether you're right or they're right or they're wrong or you're wrong. It's a matter of can you love people and accept them despite their differences. Saying, don't cause people to stumble. If you want to have a glass of wine, whatever, you have a glass of wine. But if it causes somebody to stumble, then don't have it in front of them. If you eat meat, then eat meat. If you want to double-double and the person with you brings a vegetable platter, then fine. If you can sit there and eat a double-double and they can eat cauliflower and celery, then praise God that you can sit there and the next time give God the glory that you're different and He loves you both anyway. You know what I'm saying? Why is this such a point of disagreement with all of us? Why is this dividing the body of Christ? Why is this destroying God's people? 
That was never intended to. Grace is to build up, not to tear down. Verse 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's what grace is all about. Building up one another. Hey, I got a good acronym I was thinking of when I put this together. How can you remember this easier? Here's how I remember it. Ralph. R-A-L-F. Ralph. For those of you, it's going to make you sick to your stomach thinking about applying any of this. It'll make you realize how true this is. Ralph. Refuse to dictate your convictions. Give people space. Accept one another and the differences. Give them the freedom not to have to be under your judgment but God's. I like what King David said. Man, God, if it's between you judging me and my fellow man judging me, I'll, I'll let you do it. Because you know everything. And you know my heart, you know my intentions, you know everything. But these people don't. And they could be really a rough crowd. And love people. If what you're doing is causing them to stumble and you really love people, hey, you know what? But with humility of mind, let each one of you consider others as more important than yourself. That's what it's all about. I like this. Seriously, though, all of this demands that we let go. And I like this poem that I came across, and let me read it in closing. But it really is a matter of not smothering people with our own convictions and opinions, but allowing the Word of God to do its work, turning people to the Word of God, allowing His Word to convict hearts, allowing the Holy Spirit to do His job in convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And whether a person needs to repent and confess and move on and apply something, let God do it. He does it better anyway. But this man writes this, a, a poem to his daughter who he is teaching how to ride her bicycle. He says this, The older children pedal past, stable as little gyros, spinning hard to supper, bath, and bed, until at last we also quit, silent and tired, beside the darkening yard where trees now shadow up instead of down. Their predictable lengths can only tease her as, head lowered, she walks her bike alone, somewhere between her wanting to ride and her certainty that she will always fall. Tomorrow, though I will run behind, arms out to catch her, She'll tilt and balance wide of my reach till distance makes her small, smaller, beyond the place I stop and know that to teach her I had to follow. And when she had learned, I had to let her go. Let's pray. Father, we're just grateful for your grace that you're a God of diversity, that you love people, that you accept us as we are, and yet while we're sinners, Christ died for us. God, help us not to misunderstand grace, but to accept it for what it is, truly a gift from you to us. And a gift that once we've received it from you, we're to pass on to one another. God, we just thank you that it's grace that allows us to accept one another despite of and because of all of our differences. God, may we be people who pursue the things that build up and stop doing those things that tear down. And we just thank you for what you'll do through that. In Christ's name, amen.